Psalm chapter 1. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, it's a beautiful passage. Chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for your word, and I thank you, God, that um, in your word it presents deep uh, truths about you and about us and about um, how we reconcile um, this issue of sin in our life. And so, Lord, I pray as we dive into this passage, God, that you would um, just soften our hearts for a few moments, that, that you might speak to us what you have, um, that I might be able to communicate that clearly and that we might be able to walk away knowing uh, more about how you can work in our lives and how we be can become more like you and, and, um, and show uh, the characteristics of who you are. God, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Well, um, raise your hands. Uh, how many of you wake up with random pains? All right, cool. I turned 30 uh, last year, which means I'm getting old. Uh, and the older I get, the more I wake up with these random pains. Like I'm talking about like, you know, like a twitch in your arm or your leg is starting to hurt um, or you wake up and, and your back is killing you or you start eating food and um, the, your teeth start to hurt. And so then you start to chew on the other side. So you don't have to feel that. Is anyone, that's my dental plan. Is that anyone else's dental plan? There we go. Okay, cool. I hate the dentist, by the way. So, uh, so I tend to wake up with these different, um, different pains, and I usually don't let it bother me. Usually I've just accepted that it's a way of life. But the other day, a month or so ago, one of them got me. I had a pain um, about right here. Uh, and it's just like a pinch, like a twinge. And usually those kind of go away. And, you know, they last for a few seconds and go away. This one lasted for a couple of days. And um, since it lasted for a couple of days, it effectively uh, succeeded in convincing me that I was dying. And so, because, you know, that's pretty close to your heart, right? It's close enough to make me think that I was dying. Uh, so it turns out I didn't die. You know, spoiler alert. Um, the pain went away. But it, it um, caused me to finally do something that I've been putting off for a long time. And that was to get life insurance. Because, you know, you think to yourself, you know, if I die, you know, uh, who's going to take care of uh, Randy and my daughter Lottie? Uh, and so uh, if I can't be here to take care of her, at least I can throw money at her. Um, so, so I finally went and uh, signed up for some life insurance. And it was actually a really easy process. Uh, but in that process, you had to fill out a questionnaire and then someone called you and then they asked you a bunch of questions. Uh, and in that, they, they asked questions that looked like this. Like on a scale from one to 10, question, and then you have to give your answer. I don't know about you, I'm not a huge fan of these questions. 
Like yes or no questions, I'm good at. Like like it's it's just easy to go. But whenever you say answer on a scale of one to ten, now I have to think a little bit harder about it. I have to evaluate a little bit more about it, and it actually causes me to have to like press my brain a little bit. So like for example, one of the questions might be on a scale of one to ten, uh, what is your health like? Like one being terrible, ten being great. And if you were just asking me like, are you a healthy person? You know, I'd say, yeah, I'm a healthy person. But if you say on a scale of one to 10, are you a healthy person? Then now I start thinking and kind of diving down that tunnel because I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm a healthy person. I'm a 10. I don't hardly ever go to the doctor. Uh, oh, wait, I don't hardly ever go to the doctor. I might be a nine. Uh, and then it's like, oh, wait, I did wake up the other day and my back was killing me. So it might be an eight. And I also, I don't really ever work out. So it really might be a seven. And also I eat Taco Bell. So it might be a five. Uh, and so you start working yourself down this, this thing. And that's really the purpose of this, this question, right? The purpose of the scale question is to put it on a spectrum so that way you're not forced into an answer. It causes you to evaluate the situation and then give a more detailed answer. Now, while I don't really like these questions, I think they're good. I think they're good questions to ask, and, and more specifically, I think they're good questions to ask ourselves concerning our spiritual life, because I think too often um, we coast through life not thinking about where we've been, where we're at, or where we're going, and then what happens is we wake up 10 years later doing the exact same thing that we're doing today because we never stopped and actually evaluated ourselves. If we don't ever stop and evaluate ourselves, we don't know where we're going. And you know what they say about that, right? It's like if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. I feel like that's a lot of us today, specifically concerning our spiritual life. We never stop and evaluate what's going on to figure out where we need to go and where we need to allow God to work a little bit more in our life. And so that's where Psalm 1 is going to come into, uh, to, um, into the spotlight here. Psalm 1 is a great passage. Um, the interesting thing about Psalm 1 is it actually doesn't teach anything. What Psalm 1 does is it describes Psalm 1 isn't trying to command you to do anything. The only thing it's doing is describing. And what it's describing is um, what the wicked look like. And it's describing what the righteous look like. Now, when I say that, when I say wicked and the righteous, um, when I say wicked, a lot of us start thinking about like the really bad people of the world, uh, like, the, like the murderers and the thieves. Um, those people are the wicked, I'm not that wicked. Now, when the Bible talks about the wicked, it's not necessarily doing that. The Bible isn't trying to categorize the really bad people and then the kind of bad people and then the righteous. No, it's like you're either righteous or wicked, meaning that uh, on the wicked side, you could be a murderer or you could just be someone who doesn't follow Jesus. So as we get into this, I don't want you to automatically place yourself in the camp of the righteous just because you're not out stealing or just because you're not out lying, or um, abusing people, or murdering people. The Bible doesn't make that distinction, okay? 
But as we get into this, um, I want to dig into uh, Psalm 1 and divide itself into three little parts here. And in those three parts, I want to give you three evaluation questions to ask and then ask yourself, do I look more like the righteous in this scenario or do I look more like the wicked in this scenario? And then hopefully we can leave here today knowing a little bit better about where we are spiritually and a little bit better about where we need to allow God to work more in our life so as to bring about his character in our life. Cool? Make sense? All right. We're totally awake. Let's do this. All right. So verse 1 of Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So in this first part of the psalm, um, it's describing to us um, where uh, the wicked and the righteous get their counsel from. So it says that the wicked, they get their counsel from the wicked. They get their counsel from other sinners. They, they sit in the seat of scoffers. That's where they get their advice. They get their advice from the world themselves. The righteous, however, on the other side, they get their counsel from the law of the Lord. They go to God's word for their counsel. Which leads us to our first evaluation question for today, and that is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you get your counsel from? If you find yourself getting more counsel from the world, you're further this way. If you find yourself getting more counsel from God's word, you're further this way. Now, now let me ask you um, a couple of questions to help place you on the scale here. So when a problem comes up in your life, where do you go? Do you seek out God's word? for advice on that subject, or do you seek out a friend? Do you seek out um, what the world tells you to do, or do you seek out what God tells you to do? Do you follow your own feelings, or do you follow God's advice? Do you rely on your own understanding, or do you rely on God's understanding? When you do seek out a friend for advice, do you make sure that it's a friend who is a solid Christian and who's going to speak a hard truth to you and tell you um, where you're in the wrong and biblically counsel you through that situation? Or do you seek out a friend who's just going to let you vent and then affirm all the actions that you're taking? Your answers to those questions are going to determine where you fall on this scale. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, go ahead and hop back to uh, the verse. So when it talks about the, the righteous, so in verse 2, but his, the righteous, delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. So that's a good indication. If you're a person who seeks out the counsel of God's word, uh, a good indication of that is whether or not you're actually in God's word. But here's the interesting thing about the righteous is that not only do they meditate on God's word day and night, which, which is already kind of a conundrum to, to some of our minds, but in verse 2 it says that he delights in it. Like not only do they spend all day thinking about God's word, but they delight in it. A lot of us have a hard time just cracking the book open, much less delighting in it. So students, you may be perplexed by this question of like, how in the world does the righteous not only meditate on God's word day and night, but delight in it? And I think the, a better question rather than how do they delight in it, I think a better question is why do they delight in God's word? I think the answer to that is found in the very first word of this passage. So the very first word is blessed. Blessed is the man. 
Now, this word blessed kind of has like an ethereal, like, like spiritual meaning to it, where sometimes we have a hard time even like defining what that word is. Like, like you know it's something about God in connection to your life, but you can't really like define it and put like a name to it. Uh, let, let me just make it a little bit easier for you. So the Hebrew word here for blessed is ashray. The, the Hebrew word there, ashray, most simply translated is happy. So the word blessed and happy in this Hebrew word are synonymous with each other, which is why if you have a Holman Christian Standard Bible, um, the way that they translate this passage, passage isn't blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. It actually says how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And I think right there is where um, you get the answer to this question. So if you're asking yourself, how do they delight in the law of the Lord? How do they meditate on it day and night? The answer is right there. It's because they know that in God's word is happiness. In God's word is joy. In God's word is life. I think Pastor Lee shared this verse last week. It's a first John one, or sorry, first John five, three. And it says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And that's what we need to wrap our mind around is that the Bible isn't this list of arbitrary rules that's trying to, to harm your life. Are you hearing that, students? The Bible isn't a list of arbitrary rules that are trying to squash your fun and squash your happiness. What the Bible is, is a foundational document for our lives where God is trying to say, hey, you want joy, you want happiness, you want life, it's found here. That's what God's word is. And if you find yourself seeking the advice of the world or following your own feelings more than you find yourself following God's word, then it might be because you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what God's word is meant to do in your life. It's not meant to harm you. It's meant to be for your good. It's not meant to, to ruin your life. It's meant to give you life. It's not meant to steal your happiness. It's meant to give you happiness. And the thing is, in this world, and, and y'all experience this more than I think um, a lot of us did uh, in y'all's lifetime, is that the world is telling y'all that you need to follow your feelings more than anything. That you need to follow your understanding more than anything. That you need to follow what feels good more than anything. And let me just tell you this, the more you follow what feels good, the more you follow what you think is good, the more you follow what your 15-year-old brain thinks is the right thing to do, the more it's going to lead you to a path of destruction. And I'm sure we could get every single adult up here and tell horror stories of the mistakes that they've made in their life following their own life, following their own feelings. The Bible actually tells us this in, in uh, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its way ends in death. When we follow ourselves, when we follow the world, we wind up looking more and more like the wicked, but the righteous are the ones who find happiness, joy, contentment, and life in his word. So that's our first question. On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you get your counsel from? 1 being the world, 10 being God's word. Let's go ahead and keep on moving. So this is verse 3 of Psalm 1. Says he, this is the righteous, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. So what these verses start to describe are, um, where are you planted? So it says that the righteous are planted by streams of water, and because they're planted by streams of water, they yield its fruit, that its leaf doesn't wither, and all he does, he prospers. But the wicked aren't so. The wicked aren't really planted anywhere, and because they're not really planted anywhere, they're just chaff. Uh, the wind drives away. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about what chaff means, um, but this leads us to our next question. So our next question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you planted? 1 being chaff, 10 being deeply rooted in Christ. So what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? What does it mean to be rooted in God? Well, luckily, the Bible talks a lot about this. There's lots of passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament that talk about, um, you know, Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. Um, and in all these passages, there's always one key indicator to determine whether or not you are a functioning branch on the vine, whether you're a functioning plant in the root. And that uh, key indicator is fruit. So we see here in the, the passage, um, uh, go back to the Psalm passage, um, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. Fruit is always the indicator of someone being firmly planted in Christ. Now, what is fruit? Well, like, you know, Galatians 5, you know, uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think that's all of them. I just got to sing the song in my head. Um, but even more simply, if, if I was to like boil it down even more so, um, the fruit that is demonstrated out of your life is basically this, is the characteristics of God. And it makes sense that if you're rooted in Christ, what's going to come out is the characteristics of Christ, right? And like, do we have any like gardeners in here? No garden? Oh, okay, okay, a couple gardeners. I don't really garden. I don't really like it. My mom gardened, my grandparents garden, uh, so I got to see it take place. But like, if you go out and plant a watermelon seed and then water that seed, what's going to come out? Yeah, you don't have to be a gardener to know that. That's just common sense. If I go plant tomato seed and water it, what's going to come out? Cool. So if you are planted in Christ... And your life source is Christ, what should come out? Christ. It makes complete sense that that's the case. Here's what should baffle you, is if you say you are planted in Christ, yet there's no resemblance of Christ coming out of you. That should baffle you. We're not surprised when watermelon comes from a watermelon seed. We are surprised when watermelon comes from a tomato seed. And Christ talks about this a lot, saying that if you are going to be part of me, if you're going to be part of the tree of the vines and you're going to be a functioning branch, then what is an indicator of that is that fruit is coming out from that. And this is one of the big issues that, that Jesus had with the Pharisees, is that the Pharisees were really good at looking like they were a branch. They were really good at doing a lot of religious things. They were really good at following the, the Sabbath. They were really good at going to church, to D-Now. They were good at carrying their Bibles to school, to reading them. They were really good at, at going to synagogue. Um, but the problem is, is that in all of their law-keeping, none of the characteristics of God came out through that. And that's where Jesus had a problem with them. So we see Jesus say this in, in Matthew 3, 7. 
says this. Uh, when he, Jesus, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And that means that in all of your law keeping, in all of your spiritual disciplines, you're going to church, you're singing, you're praying, everything that you do, allow it to do the work that it's supposed to do, which is burrow Christ deep in your heart so that the characteristics of Christ can come out of your life. And here's the thing. If you are a person who finds yourself coming to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, reading your Bible, listening to KLTY, praying three times a day, yet your life resembles nothing of Christ, that should concern you. Because that's a very real um, possibility. In fact, on, on these first two questions, on a scale of um, where do you get your counsel from, you could be a 10 on that. You could be a 10 on seeking God's word for counsel, yet on number two, you can be a one. You can have the Bible memorized and not be rooted in Christ. So what does that mean for us if you're not rooted in Christ? Well, well, let's see what it says about the wicked. It says that the wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, if you don't know what chaff is, um, chaff is usually um, uh, held in relation to wheat, but it's also on some other grains and some other um, uh, different types of beans and stuff. But chaff, I think I got a picture for you. Chaff is this. So, so you got the wheat grains um, over here on the left, and on the right is the chaff, which is this dry, like, outer layer of the wheat grain. Now, here's the thing, is that there is no effective way to separate the wheat from the chaff until the harvest. Like, you could go out there while it's still on the plant and pull the chaff off, but you'll just be basically wasting your time. It'll be the most inefficient thing ever. So what they do is when they harvest all of, the, all of the wheat, they go through a process called threshing and winnowing, and what they're left with is a bucket full of these two things, wheat grains and chaff, and it's all just mixed up together. Now, it looks big here, but it's, it's like little bitty, little bitty things, bucket full of them. Do you know how they actually separate the wheat from the chaff? They literally just take the bucket, they're outside, and they just dump it. And when they dump the bucket, what happens is the wind blows and the separation happens. You see, the chaff is just, again, this, this thin, light, dry, scaly, like exoskeleton of the wheat that is basically trash. And then you've got the wheat, which is actually substanti um, uh, substantial and has weight to it. So whenever they dump the bucket, the wind blows, the wheat falls to the ground and the chaff separates. It's really interesting to watch. You, you should go look up on on um, YouTube later, uh, but it separates like that. Now, now what's the, the um, significance of that? Because he's comparing the righteous to those who are planted bearing fruit and the wicked to chaff. The significance of that is this, is that chaff does a really good job at looking like wheat, but it's not. Chaff will do a really good job at pretending that it's part of the plant rooted in something, but it's not. And that becomes really apparent at the time of harvesting. 
And what does that mean for you? That means that you, again, you could come here every single week. You can look a lot like a Christian, but at the end of the day, you're not. You could look like you're rooted in God, blending in with the people around you, but at the end of the day, you are bearing no fruit and you are not part of God. And that should scare you a little bit. That should cause you some concern a little bit. And again, we're going to talk about this a little later, but I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. What I'm trying to do is get you to evaluate your life. And, And what Jesus says is that if your life bears no fruit at all, then there is a good chance that you're not part of me. And in fact, he takes it a little bit deeper um, uh, on that passage that we talked about earlier um, where, where Jesus calls out the Pharisees for not having fruit. A few verses later, he says this. He says that the ax is sitting ready at the root of the tree, ready to take anyone out who's not producing fruit. So this isn't like an optional thing for Christianity. This isn't like, oh, I'll be rooted in Christ, but I'm not going to bear fruit. I'm not going to demonstrate any characteristics of him. This is, no, if you're going to be part of Christ, you will bear fruit. So if you find yourself on the scale not bearing fruit, you want to be rooted in Christ, but you're just not bearing fruit, then then what you probably need to do is just take a step back. What you probably need to do is evaluate in all the spiritual disciplines that you do and all your singing and all your studying and all your praying and all your fellowship and all your serving. You probably need to take a step back and allow those things to do the work that's meant to do, which is allow God's word to burrow itself deep in your heart to produce a love for Christ. And then out of that love for Christ, the overflow of that comes out the fruit of God, the characteristics of God. I heard a wonderful quote this past weekend. It said this, and it said, The point of studying God's word isn't to get through the Bible, but it's to allow the Bible to get through to you. And too often in all of our spiritual disciplines that we do, we get so caught up in doing them because we're supposed to do them that we miss the ultimate point of them. And the ultimate point of them, again, is to allow God to work his way into our heart And then out of that comes the fruit and the characteristics of God to show out to the world. All right, let's keep going. Psalm 1, uh, verse 5. So this is the third description of the wicked and the righteous. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So in this final description uh, in this psalm, it's talking about the ultimate destination of the wicked and the righteous. And and the wicked, um, they're not going to stand in judgment before God. They're not going to be in the congregation of the righteous. In fact, um, they're ultimately going to perish. But the righteous, on the other hand, they are going to stand before God. Um, They are going to um, be in heaven with God because ultimately God knows them. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And so... So that leads us to our third and final uh, evaluation question for today. And it's on a scale from one to 10, where are you going after you die? One being hell, 10 being heaven. Now, like I said earlier, my goal here isn't to like, get you to question your salvation because I don't particularly like it when people do that. I'm not here to manipulate you, to scare you. All I'm here to do is get you to evaluate your life and evaluate um, if you were to die today, Where would you go? Because it tells us that the wicked will not be with God in heaven, but the righteous will. 
So I think it's important to nail this one down. Now, I kind of tricked you here because while the other two uh, questions, where do you get your counsel from and where are you planted, those do have a spectrum to it. Like you can be here. Um, this third question, where are you going after you die? There is no spectrum. You're either a one or a 10 here. Like you're not going to get up to heaven and then uh, stand before Christ and him be like, well, you're a six. So let's go ahead and just round up. Come on in. That's not going to happen. You're either a one or a 10. It's a hard yes or hard no when you're standing before God. And, and here's what it's not based on. It's not based on anything that you've done. We've, we've talked about a lot of things that you can do today. It's not about anything that you've done. Students, hear me. You getting to heaven is not about anything that you're going to do. There is no amount of good works in your life that you can do to say, to have Jesus be impressed with you and, and let you through the gates. In fact, um, Isaiah 64 tells us this. It says that our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. Our best is his worst. And we're not being compared to the person next to you. You're being compared to Christ. And whenever you come up compared to Christ, you will fail every time. So it's not because of anything that you've done that's going to get you into heaven. It's not because of anything that you've done that's going to put you at a 10 here. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 22. He says this, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name or, or do many miracles in your name? And then I, Jesus, will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Again, this just goes to reinstate that you can do a lot of Christian things and not know Jesus. You can do a lot of really good things for God and for people, and that doesn't mean that Jesus knows you. And that doesn't mean that you're in a saving faith and relationship with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, what matters is whether Christ knows you. Because whenever you know Christ, whenever you place your faith in him, he credits to you his righteousness. Remember, you're being compared to Christ, not to each other. God, Christ credits you his righteousness. That means that he took on our sins and he gives you his righteousness. He took on our death and he gives you his life. That's why we get into heaven. See, see, that's the beauty of Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, in talking about all that the righteous do, everything that they do, none of that gets them to heaven. They're not righteous because they read God's word. They're not righteous because they love people. They're righteous because Christ died for them and gave his life for them and offered grace to them. So that's the exact same way that we'll find Christ as well. And what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to, um, in our studying the Bible, um, in our looking through these questions, I don't want us to be really good at doing Christian things and then miss the entire purpose. I don't want us to be really good at doing all the things that make us look Christian and miss the fundamental thing that makes us Christian, and that is saving faith in Christ. So in the 1950s, there was a guy named uh, Marvin Thornberry. Uh, he was a baseball player, and uh, his nickname was Marvelous Marv. And he was coming up through the, the minor leagues uh, in the 50s, and he was an uh, up-and-rising star, uh, one of the biggest sluggers in the minors. 
And then in the 60s, he actually moved up to the majors and went to play for the Mets. And as he went to play for the Mets, um, uh, they came up in a game against the Cubs, and it was a nail-biter of a game. And so they, uh, Marvelous Marv went out there, and they needed him to get on base. They needed him to, uh, to uh, at least get on base, if not score. And so he hits the ball, and he starts to round first base. And he's still got room, so you know, first baseman coach is uh, signaling him on. And so he starts to round second base. And then he starts to go to third, and he stops at third. Now, the ball is being thrown in at this point, but the ball doesn't get thrown to third base. The ball gets thrown to second base. And then the second baseman steps on the second base, and the ump calls him out. Now, everyone's perplexed at this point. Everyone's wondering because Marv is on third base. He's not on second base. Why is he getting called out on second base? Well, everyone, like, calmed down, and the ump finally gave his his call, and he said, the reason he's out on second base is because he never touched the bag. And so then the, uh, the third baseman coach runs out to the ump to argue the call with him, and, and the ump stops him and says, don't even argue the call. He didn't touch first base either. And I think that's a beautiful illustration of what goes on a lot in Christianity, as we get so caught up in trying to be Christian that we miss the first step. We miss that first base of Christianity, which is to know Christ, to place our faith in Christ, and for him to save us. I don't want you to miss that step. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, God, that that you speak truth to us. And I pray, God, that um, in the craziness of our life, in the craziness of this world, and being pulled in every which direction, um, God, I pray that in this moment you would steady us, that you would calm our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that we might hear and do what you have for us. God, I know that there's a spectrum of people in this room, and, and some of us um, have been Christians for, for decades. And they're fighting the good fight, and they're, they're studying your word, and they're demonstrating the fruit of God. And, and, and God, I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them endurance to keep moving forward. But I also know that there's some people in this room that aren't that way. That they may have been Christians for, for 10 years, but their life doesn't resemble you. Their life doesn't bear fruit of you. And so, God, I pray that you would work on their hearts right now. God, that you would speak to them, that that they might not view Christianity as a list of things to do, but rather, um, rather you reaching out to us, providing joy and happiness in life. And that as we as we burrow your word deep into our heart, that out comes the overflow of, of the fruit of God. God, I'm sure that there's some people in this room, I'm sure that there's some people online watching who who think they know you and they don't. Who think that they're in a saving relationship with you, but they're not. And so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them God, that they would realize that no good work will will get us into heaven, 
but rather the work of yourself on the cross and in his resurrection. I pray that wherever we're at today, God, that you just be working on us. We're gonna take a few moments here and we're gonna sing and we're just gonna give you time. You can pray where you're at. You can come up here and pray. If you need if you need someone to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. If you want to know more about who Jesus is and how to get saved, we'd love to talk with you about that. We just want to give you an opportunity to respond to whatever God is doing in your life. If we can go ahead and stand up together. As we stand, we're going to sing. This is your time. Whatever God is calling you to do, I encourage you to do that.